you know, as a, as a entrepreneur, you have to read the tea leaf, so to speak, of what's assembling together. What are the drivers assembling together that are going to create a, a sort of a, a new opportunity or a new initiative that there's a number of drivers coming together that are forming that. Welcome to Startup Bill, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolsfeld, our host is Dan Gold, and welcome to this special episode where we're celebrating Global Biotech Week. Global Biotech Week started 17 years ago, right here in Canada, and has since gone global, raising awareness for the significant role biotech plays in the world today. So to celebrate Global Biotech Week, we've interviewed three biotech entrepreneurs based right here in Saskatchewan to learn more about what they do and what makes biotech different from the typical startup experience. First in today's episode, we talked with Sean Ritchie, CEO and Chief Scientific Officer of MedLife Discoveries, a leader in developing novel treatments for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, and more. Welcome to Startup Bill. This episode is brought to you by Martin Charlton Communications and EggWest Bio. Hello and welcome to Startup Villa. I'm very excited for this episode. Uh, I've got it in front of me. Uh, This interview is a part of Global Biotech Week. I'm very excited by all the interviews that we've got going on through this week. Uh, Today, I'm very fortunate to have Sean Ritchie with us today, CEO and Chief Scientific Officer of MedLife Discoveries. Sean, thank you for joining us. More than happy to you. So, Sean, uh, for those who don't know about you and your background, and we'll get onto the organization shortly, um, how did you get into this sphere? What was your educational background? What what inspired you to follow this path? <laughs> so I so I'm from Saskatoon locally. I've lived here all my life. I'm I'm probably one of the few people in the life sciences who ended up doing all of their education and training postdoctorate work and then career path within the same city. So um, I have a PhD in biochemistry from the University of Saskatchewan where I I worked at the cancer agency um, way, way back. Um, I then basically right out of that, I I jumped into industry um, and have stayed in that career path since then. I've since gone on and done a sort of couple other certifications and degrees in communications and technical writing and things, but um, you know, the focus has really been on, on primarily diagnostics and metabolomics and now into the biopharma space with MedLife. So tell me what MedLife does. Who is MedLife? So MedLife is a small local biopharma company. We employ about eight to 10 people within Innovation Place. Um, we have local shareholders and our, our focus is really sort of threefold, I, I would say. We've got um, early stage um, drugs for the treatment of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, and we've just done something really exciting with those assets and actually created a subsidiary company with some investors out of Toronto. And that company is called Grayspace Therapeutics, which will have a very narrow focus on the development of those assets for those large indications. Um, the, the second is actually a pediatric rare disease focus. So a lot of people here don't know that there's this company in Saskatoon that actually works on a, an entire program focused on really a small population of no more than about 100 kids uh, in the United States who have a very debilitating disease called RCDP. Um, so 
right now about 80% of our corporate focus is actually on that program and the development of that drug. Um, the third part I would say is really our analytical capabilities. So we manufacture some diagnostic test kits that we, we sell worldwide to different labs um, and have just recently actually acquired new space within Innovation Place and are building a GLP certified lab, which we're super excited about because um, you know, it's a high standard to meet. Um, we'll support our own internal um, R&D as well as potentially let us offer some additional services to either others in the park or within in Western Canada. So it's really therapeutics, diagnostics, um, and sort of lab services is the three key parts of the company. So looking at your journey, going from uh, your education to your career path, th there seems to have been a fork at one point where you've gone from pure, I don't want to say pure scientist, but scientist and practitioner. I don't think that's right, but I'll go with it. Uh, sci scientist to integrating that with entrepreneurship. What was that journey like? And, and was it born of frustration or, or just seeing an opportunity that you went, I need to be the one that launches this? And how do you then as a scientist go, okay, I now have a business head as well? Right. I mean, that, that's a great question. And I, I, I've had that question a lot from colleagues um, and, and students coming through the program here that I, you know, I've kept in touch with. And I think personally, I, I was always interested more in application. So right out of my doctorate degree yet, I, I, you know, I was less incentivized to consider the academic path. I wanted to translate something into either products or services or something that would tangibly improve somebody's life at some point in time. So I think that that drove me to stick with industry. I think, you know, when I started, I, I, you know, there was, I started with another company here right out of my doctorate program, sort of at a postdoctoral industry position. Um, that was another startup within the park. And we grew that company to about 40 people. Um, and a lot of what we're doing now that, you know, the ideas and concepts came out of that work. So, you know, we had a corporate restructure about four to five years ago um, with really the focus now to, to clinically develop those assets in, in the right way. So, you know, I, it's, I, I guess, you know, the, the career path, you know, I, I had some good mentors. Um, you just kind of end up in the position as you move along in your career from bench to, you know, more of an executive um, position within the company. And I, you know, I, I do miss the lab work um, because we're small. You know, one of the things that um, is required in the startup is wearing a multiple hats. So, you know, still to this day, if I need to get down into lab and provide some support or troubleshooting, I do that. Um, but, you know, because we're so small, everybody carries multiple functions on their back. So, you know, it's, it just kind of, you evolve as the company needs you to evolve is essentially, I would say, what got me here. When I look at the other startups in our ecosystem here, and we've spoken to the many of them here on Startupville, I, I get a very clear picture for what the requirements are to launch their product or service, um, develop their innovation, how they're addressing the need and or, or, or disrupting. I get that very clearly. When you're a biotech company, how much of a different environment is that? Because I would imagine, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, I would imagine that 
there's there's going to be some form of potentially a, a regulatory body around that and requirements and um, the ethical structure and the frameworks that you have to work to. So aside from them, which I would imagine you would have to do. What else would make the environment different for growing a, a biotech company, a biotech startup, as against one that's purely a, a tech firm? Just, I mean, that's 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 a good question. I think, first of all, drug development is just insanely expensive. So, you know, the, the cost to take something that is an idea or, or nothing really more than an idea and some notes on a napkin into you know an actual regulatory approved clinical development path is an extremely expensive process in the pharma space. And I think that's something most people don't realize. It's been an educational process for all of us as we've made you know this journey. But um, you know I think just the cost and the level of investment that's needed um, is a challenge and and might be something that's different from say a tech startup where it's maybe more service driven. You need to have a cool you know, app or something and you need a good team of developers to develop something that you can sell. In the biotech space, I mean, the reward is huge, but you have to put a lot of money up front. So the, you know, the challenge preclinically, I mean, none of our compounds are yet into human. We're getting there, we're getting close. Um, so you know, it's a challenge of educating our shareholders about, you know, here's, why this program costs so much. Um, here's the amount that we're going to need to get to sort of value inflection points that we can either then, you know, sell or partner with a larger company to help us take it to the next stage. So it's a lot different. Um, you know, I, I would say the, the ROI structure is probably quite different in biotech than say tech startup. You've just intrigued me and, and uh, I, I'm, I know we only have a limited amount of time today, but you've just intrigued me. When you're in that space where you're having to speak to your your uh, backers and 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 have those more difficult conversations, have you found being in a Saskatchewan biotech industry in this ecosystem that you've taken non-traditional backers when it comes to doing this work as against being in a different large market or a, or a center of excellence where they're known for doing this work and the investors are very used to these very long time frames have you kind of looked at that in a in a disruption way on who you've attracted to invest yeah i mean so right now we're really lucky we have three local investors um, which fund the company and, and will continue to do so. I, I would say, you know, when, when we're out looking for the big partners, which we're, you know, getting closer and closer to doing, it, the feedback is interesting, honestly, because most people don't know where Saskatoon is. So when we're in the Bay Area or we're on the East Coast, you know, in the, in the pharma corridor between Pfizer, Merck and all, all of the big players, um, you know, they, they find it, the first question we typically get is, well, why are you guys in Saskatoon? Because, you know, you should be in San Francisco or you should be in Boston. Um, so it takes some time to explain how we got here and why we're here. Um, but honestly, I think I, I would say in today's day, it's, it's become less of an issue being located in any particular region. If the technology is good and somebody believes 
that it's a fit for their program or their investors, they're going to look at it. Um, so it, I, I would say that it's change. It's a changing environment in terms of location. It's becoming less and less important, I think. And I'm really glad to hear that because quite, it's a common line with other startups that geography is becoming less important. And one of the things that we're increasingly seeing is people reevaluating with the current situation in the world. Do they want to be in the big city with modern uh, connectivity? Uh, do they necessarily need to be that? Where is the balance with quality of life and and actually having a, an affordable life? Well, that's huge. And I mean, honestly, we, you know, we're, we're constantly hiring people from all over the place. And you know, we engage probably seven or eight international consultants, regulatory people, chemists globally. I mean, our, our lead programs are being, the, the, the drugs themselves are being made in India. We've got formulation happening in San Francisco. We've got regulatory in North Carolina and Toronto. So, I mean, basically our day is, it, it's really almost like glorified project management and we're on Zoom calls almost all day with these teams. So. You know, it's, it's very easy to manage now remotely. And it also, you know, improves um, the bottom line. We don't have to have everybody in-house and relocate and all be here. So there's advantages to it for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining me here on Startupville. This uh, interview is a part of Global Biotech Week. I'm very proud that we're uh, doing this and uh, you've kicked us off on this one. If people wanted to find out more information about you and your organization, how could they do that? Uh, Well, I mean, they can check the website out. So med-life.ca. They can track us down um, via phone number, but website's probably, probably the best bet. Next up is Masood Rizvi, Head of Genomics at Energene Canada, a biotech startup that's optimizing crop production through genomic AI solutions. Masood, it's a pleasure to have you here with us on Startupville. Uh, thank you for uh, giving us the time. Thank you for having me. Let's, uh, let's go to the beginning. Uh, what does Energene do? So Energene is uh, known for genomic breeding research and develop uh, software analytical solution uh, that provide actually support to the breeding community um, and accurate, uh, complete genetic information or whatever they want from the plants. Uh, these analytical tools assisting the, our customers and partners to develop the elite species and uh, which has a better resistance, uh, high yielding crops, and tend to go in the market pretty quickly, uh, which is like an advantage for them. So we do a successful development and deployment of these tools to create the competitive edge. And that's our intention to really bring a lot of value to Canadian agriculture economy, uh, which can support the local job creation and leading um, to the increase in the food security uh, in the future. Right. And and what is the founding story? How did the organization come about? So yeah, Energene actually started uh, or founded 10 years back uh, in Israel. Um, and then understanding was to really uh, look for the accurate genetic information, uh, which can significantly enhance the agriculture. And if you look like a decade back in the tech, tech world, uh, agriculture technology world, 
the new technology and artificial intelligence uh, was not penetrated into that market. Uh, that there were two things. One thing was the latest technology was not available. The second thing was the cost to really deploy those technologies. And in that era, it came in and we understand the importance, like how the new variety or new genetic tools can be developed over the year um, to really support those artificial intelligence. So that's how the, we founded the NRG. And at the same time, when researchers were really looking for the fancy tools, like a next generation sequencing or the artificial intelligence or combined combination of the both things. So we wanted really uh, give them advantage to use this technology. At that time, we were using thousands of dollars to really come up with the whole genome sequencing or next generation sequencing, which is now dropped to like, like a hundred of dollars. Like, so there is a significant cost reduction happen and that's that's what we did we optimized the things uh, in the artificial intelligence with the software analytical tools to really turn that value up and then reduce the reduce the price from thousands of dollars per sample to now like a hundred of dollars per samples so i'm particularly intrigued when you look at what you've done as an organization geographically here uh, how does this market, uh, Saskatchewan's biotech industry, compare to other markets which, you know, the parent company or from your own experience has is different or similar when it comes to that experience? When I compare, like Saskatchewan is a, like our, our natural allies uh, for what we do. We call Saskatchewan as a land of living skies. But that's not the only thing. Uh, we are also the largest exporter for the wheat, uh, canola, flax, and oat, some of the crop to name. And that's like a, a, one of the big decisions to really set up this uh, energy in Canada here in Saskatoon uh, to really support the ag market industry and give it a more value. Um, the biggest challenge for the characterization of the data, what we are generating nowadays. So you, you hear the digital egg. Digital egg is what we, when we go with a drone and take the images in the field. And at the same time in the lab, we are generating a lot of genomics data. So these all data, what it means to us, can we get the, all the information, what we are looking? It requires artificial intelligence, which will lead the transformation of the agriculture and our knowledge towards the science. And this is what we are comparing, like uh, the Canada is a bigger market for agriculture. It's uh, having a largest producer for the canola, wheat, such like wheat is the biggest staple crop in the world. And, and that's, that's how we are here. Now we, we want to really help the breeders. We want to help the farmers. We want to help the companies who are involved in agriculture sector and take this technology to the new level where we can help them to build the new platforms and that will reduce the price at the one end and also increase the quality of the data what they get so something like a cheaper better and faster solution when it comes to uh, the market in which you work uh, how competitive is it uh, nationally regionally, internationally, with all this research that's going on? Yeah, Miss, it's a um, problem is actually about the 
products. So when, when you see the other technology and other market uh, where you have a state product, uh, there is a pipeline, but there is always a struggle for finding a big market which can utilize your product. Here in our world, uh, we are on the flip side, uh, which means like uh, market is well established. We know like there is a market in agriculture market which is ready uh, to accept the newer technologies. But the, the biggest challenge we have is the ability to develop a product that can address that market and bring it to the mar market faster than, uh, than what, what can be required. Because if you are too late, then it's, it's a problem. So we are facing with two things. One is the core risk, of whether we will have the right product to take to the market. Another thing is timeline, because timing is a very key thing when we are dealing with the living organism, just like plant. So if we are not growing every day, the plants are growing every day. So we have to move faster and move safer. So that's one of the challenge I see uh, we have in the biotech industry. So big, important question. If people wanted to find out more information about uh, you and the organization, where could they find that? Uh, so we are um, available on the website, energene.com. Uh, we are partnering with Agwest Bio. We are presence on uh, social media like LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, so those kind of few things where people can uh, really look for us and then find us. Last but not least, we talked with Brent Zettel, a pioneer in the Canadian medical cannabis industry, having co-founded Canamed Therapeutics that was acquired for $1.2 billion. Since then, he started his new venture, Zias, which is harnessing the power of cannabinoids to develop treatments that improve quality of life and well-being for patients. Brent, thank you for joining us here on Startupville. Let's start from the very beginning. Uh, Zayas, what does Zayas do? How did uh, the organization come about? Zayas Life Sciences is really the uh, next generation company that came about when it, uh, from the Canamat days. When I was looking at knowing essentially that we were early days in understanding the treatments, uh, the application of cannabinoids and how they could go forward. So from my, from my vantage point, it was like the mission wasn't complete. So I formed the company three days after the hostile takeover, knowing full well that uh, you know, we were gonna be advancing the next step in, the, in this uh, journey to bring cannabinoids uh, into the normal course of, of treatment and care for patients. And <clears throat> there was uh, 35 people that followed, followed me and behind that in order to help start the company. Now the name of the company we developed uh, with our, our partners in New York, and it's basically two words together, Zyas, uh, Z-Y from the word zygote, which is the beginning of new life uh, after fertilization, and us, which is uh, the, the, the social, the better social good, the greater good. So that's how we came up with the name. And so we're really focused on the true life science aspect of this. So moving to the next chapter where uh, you know, plant biotechnology was our initial drive, to more of a application now to where we're focused patient-centric, where we see the, you know, the early evidences of where compounds fit, even though they're produced out of plants. And then we're just trying to flesh that out to make sure that we've got the right discipline and the right formulations that are gonna really make what we call transformational impact on patients' lives. So Brent, you've been on this journey before of 
of forming an organization, bringing the talent together, having a vision for what you intend to do. When you look at forming a new organization, how do you then build the expe- expectations for investors and and timelines? How do you manage that? You know, it's a really deep question, actually, when, it, when you're starting it on, on a business where we already knew what the vision was. And I think that you know, that's the beginning of the, let's see, how should we call it, the nucleus, uh, the, the primal nucleus. You need to have a vision and a belief of what's possible. But that belief and that conviction or vision really does need to be a properly vetted against a real market or a market that's about to come. And so one of the things I always learn, you know, I would like to you know, learn by it analogy, you know, Wayne Gretzky was a great hockey player and he always said what made him great wasn't that he knew where the puck was. He always could figure out where the puck was going to be. And so it's a matter of starting with that, where's the puck going to be? Meaning where's the market going to be? What are the, you know, as a, as a entrepreneur, you have to read the tea leaf, so to speak, of what's assembling together. What are the drivers assembling together that are going to create a a sort of a, a new opportunity or a new initiative that there's a number of drivers coming together that are forming that. In the case of our cannabinoid research initiative, we, there's three drivers that are still there that are causing this. Baby boomers that are, getting, uh, that are driving the system, healthcare costs, which are still over the top, more than 50% of our budgets, and the opiate crisis. Those three main drivers are creating that perfect storm that cannabinoids need to find a place in traditional medicine because we have no other choice. And so those are, for me, are the sort of semblances of the drivers. So that was the number one. The number two part of that is you've got to share the vision and you've got to share it with a population. You can't, you know, this whole idea, you can do everything by yourself. It just doesn't work anymore. So you need to have a culture and a people that believe in the same thing or can see the same thing. And you have to follow a certain discipline and etiquette as a company, and develop the semblance of a culture that you all agree that you're going to work towards a certain initiative in a certain way as a collective and it's developing that collective that becomes then the next, I would say the next tier to sort of start those businesses off the ground to get it going. So then once you have a collective and you have a vision, then ultimately you also need to have the evidence behind it that convinces the investors. You guys, there's something there that differentiates you uh, as I referred to it, the significant relative competitive advantage, meaning what is it coming next and what's your significant advantage and how do you differentiate yourself as a, as a collective? And it takes the collective to do it. I'm always surprised at how many startups just think that they can start with one person. Uh, you know, I'm thinking you need at least five to start a company because it just gets too big too quickly, especially in the age of social media. And then I guess the, you know, the other thing is to you know, cross-reference the fact that in today's context, the social media, all those things, that's just a whole nother effort to make sure you have a presence. Interestingly enough, with a proper website and a proper and a proper social media campaign, you, you know, startup companies can appear to be as big as the biggest companies. So you can, you know, it's a level playing field that levels a playing field a little bit, but it's a lot of effort to make that happen and to start that dialogue. But, you know, people in general where the markets are driven are more connected than ever before, especially in this pandemic. We are more connected than ever before, but that has a, a positive thing. You have to stay, you have to plug into that connection. But at the same time, if you're ready, if you get any semblance of success, 
you better be ready to go because the market's going to go faster than ever before. So I think those are the sort of the semblances of what I say when you're starting up a business. So that I, those are the one and two and three things that I think of. When you're working in a an in an industry and in a in a sector which is uh, dominated by, let's say, a very traditional base of products and technologies and 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 um, uh, corporate interests. The communication piece you've already touched on, how much of your time or effort or focus is spent on education or, or re-education or myth-busting? I mean, to, to scientists and, and people doing research, I'm sure that they get it pretty much immediately. But when it comes to other other areas, when you're working in let's say, um, uh, markets which might have regulatory issues around certain products or or um, uh, alignment with certain um, uh, issues that have seen been seen historically as negative. How do you educate people to go, hold on, that's that and this is this and create that separation? Sure. Well, I think it starts with, it, of course, there's a format of communication. You have to pick your type of format. You can't be all things in all sectors, especially when you start up. I mean, you got to pick your method of communicating that you're going to try to uh, uh, focus on to really get the message out and across to the, to the masses as you're moving into market. But I think more importantly to educate, you have to have something of substance to the worth that people want to listen to. It's not, it's just not important to be and make a lot of noise. You got to make something that, you got to generate uh, information deck that where people, you know, want to, you know, you're going to take the time to listen to what you, what's to be said. And usually it starts with a conversation about where the pain, if I can use that word, where the pain is in the market. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not that everything, everything is moving pretty quick now, given this pandemic, we're rethinking everything from retail to travel to, you know, social distancing, everything else that goes along with that. But interestingly enough, the consequence of that would be, you know, all the things that now people are rethinking is family units. What am I going to do spending more time at home? How much more beverages are going to be consumed? What type of beverages are going to be consumed? How much more time thing, luxury things are going to do? I was just uh, talking, we were thinking about buying a hot tub, went to see the hot tub place. They're completely sold out till next year because they're bringing a dog is thinking, we got to stay home. We might as well make it comfortable, right? That was, and the guy who was selling is completely flabbergasted and frustrated. He can't get any more hot tubs because the entire North America is looking for hot tubs, right? So from that perspective, it's about identifying the pain that you create it. You know, you can see the story that then gets others you know, with the same conviction to see what you see, but shouldn't be surprised when you get pushback. I mean, the number one thing about looking forward is it's unfamiliar. If you're charting a new territory, it's usually not anybody else has thought about that. And it's, you know, convincing the people that this is something new is coming. It's not so easy, actually. You know, banks especially, I don't want to throw banks on the bus. The banks are necessary, but they're always backwards looking. How well did you perform financially? What's your balance sheet look like? What are your sales? So banks aren't into the risk game at all. They don't, they don't look for it. It's about what's coming in the future. You have to convince investors what's coming in the future. And that's really, I think, what it starts, is, you know, giving the evidence what's in support of that, that's legitimate, that could really, really happen. And I think that's where the conversation really starts. But you have to have the real story real and evidence around that story and the vision and secondly how you communicate that i think become the second important thing 
one of the things that I I wonder, or in fact, it's something that comes up time and time again when I speak to people here on Startupville, is the Saskatchewan base, being in Saskatoon, being in Regina, and um, the pride that people have by building something here. But there is, from other locations, the question that comes up, and I dealt with this with an organisation this week in the tech sector, where they go, why why Saskatoon? Why stay there? Um, you've been successful in your entrepreneurism and growing an organisation here. Um, what would you say as an advocate of Saskatoon, of Saskatchewan, of the prairies, as to why people should think differently from the outside and maybe take more pride in what we have here? Well, certainly the internet and social media in particular have shrunk the world. So, and you know, it's further evidenced by that with the, re the response by Canadians and how they're working from home and post pandemic, it's become clear that even in the Zoom meeting that we're doing instead of meeting face to face, that the technology is advanced enough that you don't need to be in an office in downtown metropolitan in order to have real business. That used to be the mindset. Now there's a change that, you know, we can plug as long as we have a proper connection, we can be anywhere in the planet to communicate and to talk about different things. So then the, the question becomes a word, what makes sense for your group? We already have, uh, you know, we're only two and a half years old as a company. We, we have offices in six countries already, and we have uh, people on the ground in those offices. We have, you know, communication with them. We have lots of different things and the world has really become a smaller community in and of itself. So location for administrative marketing issues and everything is not nearly as much of an issue anymore because of that communication continuity, thanks to the internet and social media and uh, LinkedIn and all those other good ones. So from my vantage point, that's really number one. So you don't, it's no longer as a necessary thing to be having those things, but I guess the key thing is when you're delivering a product or a service, it has to be something that takes into account geographic location for shipping, if you have to ship something, right? So if you have shipped something bulky and heavy like potash, you gotta have a system to get it through like the rail system to get it. If you're shipping something as like a cannabinoid formulation that we put in stainless steel totes that's worth you know, quite a bit more per unit, you don't require a, a, a rail line, you require to have the accuracy, but we're located closer to where these things can be produced on scale, perhaps moving eventually to a field model. So that has a different feel for how you can think about things going forward. So it's, it's really, it's about what, again, thinking back to a significant competitive advantage, if the playing field of communication and administration is level, then what else is the next tier? It, you know, for financial services, for example, I mean, they're now most of the companies that I've seen that are getting started, they're getting their books done in India and then having, you know, send a wire transfer to India and then they send the books back overnight. That really speaks to the fact that you don't need to be anywhere in a metropolitan in order to conduct accounting, right? You can be anywhere in the planet pretty much, right? Same thing for almost law is more specific to the jurisdiction, but you know, from my vantage point, it, the key thing is flagging then, what is it that you really need to have? And being in Saskatchewan, the good thing in Saskatchewan is we do have good hearted people that also grew up in a culture in the last hundred years, our, you know, our, our, our forefathers and our, and our foremothers are, are really hardworking, 
They learned how to be cooperative because they had to be. They learned how to be innovative because they had to be to survive. And they had a strong work ethic. You take intelligence, work ethic, and cooperation, and you put those together in the same person and they, with other people to put together, that's what makes Saskatchewan people great. That's why you see people from Saskatchewan all over in other and high up in organizations because they carry those three basic elements, working cooperatively, having innovation as a, as a, as a foundation, and having strong work ethic. And those things always play out well when it comes to starting a business. And I think that's really the message I think we, we have for our young entrepreneurs is just keep be mindful of that. You still, those are the key elements and I don't think they're going to go away. Those are pillars you need for any business. Brent, as time is getting away from us, I, I'd like to thank you for joining us here on this special edition of Startupville for Biotech Week. Um, I want to give people the opportunity to learn more about Zias. Where could they get that information? They go to Zias.com, has the general information. We will be soon launching our Zias.ca website once we have all the final touches on our uh, with Health Canada. But Zias.com, they can look, take a look and see who we are and what we're about. This episode of Startupville is brought to you by Martin Charlton Communications at WeTellYourStories.ca and AgWest Bio, Saskatchewan's bioeconomy catalyst that helps grow bio business through support and mentoring funding, strategic alliances, building networking opportunities, and communications. The show is produced by me, Mike Wolsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from Gigi Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com slash startupville, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Startupville Pod. See you next time on Startupville.